You are listening to Crossing Tape, a true crime podcast. Please note, this podcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Please listen with care. Welcome back, everyone. How much do we love the new intro music? I have listened to it like 200 times. I cannot get over it. George at Fiverr.com, which is a great place to find people for freelancing work. He completely took my very limited vision and made it exactly what I wanted. And I don't know how he did it. It's pure magic. I am so thankful for him. So shout out to George. He did a great job. I am so excited to have a new intro music that was made specifically for Crossing Tape. And if you are interested in George's services, if you need audio or music for any any projects that you're working on, I will link him in our show notes because I want to give him business. He did a great job. So before we jump into our story today, I did also want to talk about something that has been coming up um, in some of my conversations and in my DMs. And many, most of you know that I worked as a forensic therapist in prisons and in the community, like community corrections. And I've had some questions around if the stories that I've covered, especially the Washington ones, if these are cases of people that I have worked with in a therapeutic capacity, meaning are these people, are, are these stories about people that I worked with as their therapist in prison? And will I ever cover stories of people that I worked with in prison? And the answer is absolutely not. That is a huge violation of their privacy. Not that you guys would ever know that I was covering a story of somebody that I worked with, but I would know and that would feel really icky and I would never do that. So no, none of the stories that I cover in the in Washington, none of them are stories of people that I have actually sat across from, that I've worked with in the prison or in the community. These are these are not stories that I've like heard of from from my a fellow therapist, right? Because there was I obviously worked with other therapists, so they're never stories of previous clients of mine or of clients of another therapist who I worked with closely. So I just wanted to get that out there. No, I would not violate anyone's privacy um, in that way. Okay, so for our story today, we are going to have some trigger warnings before we jump into it. Today, we're going to be discussing themes of intimate partner violence, uh, the dehumanizing treatment of a body, as well as death and dismemberment. So please be warned now that these themes are not for everybody. And if you are sensitive to gruesome details or any of these themes, this might not be the episode for you. I will also try to put a graphic warning before I talk about any graphic details within the story. So if you are thinking, okay, I want to listen, but I want to, I want a heads up when some graphicness is coming, I am happy to do that. So just be alert for the graphic warnings in the episode and you can skip ahead 10 to 15 seconds to skip those. Our story takes place in St. Paul, Minnesota and the surrounding area. 
Now, St. Paul is the state capital of Minnesota, and it tumbles right into Minneapolis, therefore earning this area the nickname of the Twin Cities. The Mississippi River separates the two cities, with Minneapolis most, mostly to the west and St. Paul mostly to the east, although there is a lot of overlap. In 2022, the St. Paul area boasted a population of around 320,000 people and sits on traditionally hopeful Native American and Midwakton Sioux tribe lands. And I'm ho I hope I'm saying Midwakton right. I watched a lot of YouTube videos, so hopefully I got that right. And if I didn't, I am so, 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 so sorry. Fun fact, uh, St. Paul is the home city of famous author F. Scott Fitzgerald and the Red Hot Chili Peppers drummer Chad Smith. The sub-zero winter temperatures and the blisteringly hot summer temps don't seem to keep people from settling in and making the Twin Cities their home. Fanta Zayavong, at the time of her disappearance, was 33 years old. She was described by her family as beautiful, selfless, and so vibrant she lit up a room. Her Facebook, at least the parts that are public, is filled with motivational quotes, beautiful selfies, and pictures of her and her kids. It's quite evident that she was deeply cared for, as some of the comments on her profile and on her pictures show that people miss her and cared for her quite deeply. According to sources, Fanta had her last contact with family in July of 2021. This appeared to be out of the ordinary for Fanta, especially considering that she had two small children whom she loved and stayed in regular contact with. Years went by without her family having heard anything from her, and it's unclear why the family didn't report her missing for those two years. I couldn't find any information about like, what was going on in the background there. However, on May 25th, 2023, two years after Fanta disappeared, an unknown person called the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension to report Fanta's disappearance, stating that they were worried she was being, quote, trafficked, unquote, by her boyfriend, Joseph Jorgensen. The caller also identified Fanta and Jorgensen's relationship as, quote, abusive. Fanta and Jorgensen had been reportedly dating for approximately a year, according to sources. And although this is not confirmed, pretty much every source cites this. So her family hasn't confirmed this, but like every news source says they have been together for about a year. Her last known residence was about 20 miles south of Minneapolis and St. Paul in a suburb called Lakeville. Because Fanta's case is still breaking, there isn't a lot of information available publicly about if she lived with Jorgensen and where. Just a few short months later, after this anonymous caller reported Fanta missing in May of 2023, her body was discovered on July 6th, 2023. And here's a graphic warning, so skip ahead if you don't want to hear this. Her body was found dismembered and decomposing in a storage unit in Coon Rapids, about 40 miles north of Lakeville. At the time of this recording, police have not released information about whether Fanta was killed in the storage unit or somewhere else. Police have stated that Jorgensen, her alleged boyfriend of the year, is a person of interest, but not a suspect. However, while Jorgensen is being looked at as a person of interest in Fanta's death, he is also currently awaiting trial for second-degree murder in the brutal killing, dismembering, and dumping of another Minnesota woman 
Manny Starin. Manijah Nicole Starin was 34 at the time of her death and was deeply loved by all that knew her. She was born on May 23, 1989 to Marvin and Ricky Starin in Rousseau, I think I'm saying that correctly, Rousseau, Minnesota, which is just under six hours or about 350 miles north of St. Paul, almost right on the Canadian border. A few years after having Manny, Marvin and Ricky had a younger son, Noah, with whom Manny was very close to, and by all accounts, she loved being a big sister. According to her obituary, Manny grew up in Rousseau and was part of the local Girl Scout troop and participated in school sports like swimming and track. Her family remembers that she loved, quote, hunting, fishing, camping, skating, swimming, thrift shopping, and water skiing, unquote. Manijah was remembered as being able to find, quote, the good and beautiful person that was inside everyone she ever met, unquote. Manny was outgoing and sociable and very kind. She knew helping people was her calling and worked as a CNA at a group home for a little bit. And she was excited to get back to school to finish her degree. Manny was married briefly and had two kids, Colby and Titan, from that marriage. She had a third child from another relationship named Axel. She loved her kids and was excited to teach her eldest the thrill of finding a great thrifting deal. Her memorial table at her funeral was filled with photos of her and her kids and her friends and her family. According to the statement of probable cause that was filed with the Second Judicial District Court on June 30th, 2023, Manny's family became concerned for her safety as they hadn't spoken to her since April 18th, 2023, and she had failed to respond to their texts and calls. On May 1st, 2023, Marvin Starin, Manny's father, called the police to report his daughter missing. He told them that she struggled with substance abuse as well as some other mental health-related issues. Marvin reported to the police that he was concerned because Manny was supposed to be in a drug treatment center, but she had never shown up and she was really committed to getting better so that she could be there for her kids. He reported that when he spoke to Manny on April 18th, she sounded, quote, paranoid and afraid, unquote, and he believed she was afraid of her boyfriend, Joseph Jorgensen, and more on their relationship and the title boyfriend specifically in a minute. Marvin also gave the police the number for Manny's third child's father, Shane, who was also concerned for her safety. When police spoke to Shane, he reported that he was concerned for Manny's safety because she wouldn't go longer than eight hours before texting or calling to check on their child, Axel, and yet he hadn't heard from her in weeks. The last time Shane spoke to Manny on the phone, she told him that Joe, she, she called him Joe, her current boyfriend, had wrapped a rope around her neck and that, quote, things got out of hand, unquote. Shane assumed she was talking about something that had happened historically and not something that was happening currently. However, now that he hadn't heard from her, he was worried that he misinterpreted what she was trying to tell him. And Shane knew that Manny would often call from random numbers, so it's not like he was ignoring numbers that he didn't know and then thinking Manny wasn't trying to get a hold of him. He would answer the calls from, from numbers he didn't know. Shane and Manny appeared to have an amicable breakup and appeared to still care for one another, and both seemed committed to co-parenting well together. In fact, Shane's Facebook profile picture continues to be a photo of Manny and her kids with the words, quote, RIP forever, love you beautiful angel, unquote. 
I want to note here really quickly that there are some reports on Facebook that Manny was not in a romantic relationship with Jorgensen, but instead that he was stalking her. When asked about this online, her brother Noah simply responded with a link to an article that states, quote, both women had been dating Jorgensen, according to police and their families, unquote. However, Manny's mother made a statement on her Facebook page on July 5th of this year, 2023, that reads, quote, this really upsets us that in every article it says boyfriend. We believe maybe it was mutual at first, but then he became more obsessed with her and basically used her. Anyone that truly knows her would know that she must have felt extremely threatened by him and couldn't see a way out, unquote. Moving forward, I will try to not use the term boyfriend when referring to Jorgensen and Manny's relationship out of respect for the family, so I will instead just just refer to it as relationship, whether that was um, platonic or romantic or or whatever. So I will I will try to use um, relationship instead of boyfriend. After speaking to Marvin and Shane, police opened a missing persons case and went to the last known address of Manny, which was East 7th Street, St. Paul, Minnesota. When speaking to the apartment manager, police learned that Jorgensen often frequented the apartment but was not on the lease. The apartment manager also told police that they found some disturbing footage on the security cameras outside of Manny's apartment. Police reviewed the footage and saw that on April 21st, the same day Manny last spoke to Shane, the cameras caught Manny running from her apartment, followed closely by Jorgensen, who managed to grab her and drag her back into the apartment at approximately 5.55 p.m. There was no footage of her ever leaving the apartment alive again. The cameras picked up Jorgensen entering and exiting the apartment approximately 28 times between April 21st and April 28th, 2013, uh, two, wow, not 2013, 2023. Remember, he doesn't live there and he did not have a set of keys to the apartment, but he was seen using a set of keys on the footage. On April 28th, Jorgensen was seen carrying out two large duffel bags and a suitcase on the apartment cameras. He got into a truck that was registered to his roommate and drove off with the bags in the truck. Police began speaking to more friends and family, discovering that Manny struggled with her mental health and substance use. However, even when Manny was using... She would not go more than 24 hours without contacting friends or family, which echoed Shane's remarks. A mutual friend of Manny and Jorgensen's, whose name is redacted in the police report, stated that he spoke to Jorgensen after Manny disappeared and that Jorgensen reported that Manny had just left for the store and never returned. Jorgensen said that he had been, quote, looking in the woods for her, unquote, because he was worried a, quote, creep, unquote, named Cassell had hurt Manny. Despite Jorgensen's reports that Manny left and never came back and that he was worried about someone hurting her, he never reported her missing. Police were able to secure a search warrant for Manny's apartment, and on May 25th, 2023, yes, the same day the anonymous caller reported Phantom missing after two years, police entered Manny's apartment to find a cracked TV, a window screen strewn about on the floor, broken glass on the microwave, missing items from Manny's closet, missing bed sheets, and a large hole cut in her mattress topper. There was also a substantial amount of blood evidence to collect. Police noted that there were red stains at the foot of Manny's bed, as well as evidence of large amounts of blood on the living room, couch, floor, and in the kitchen. 
It also appeared as if someone had tried to clean up the blood, and it was evident to police that someone had either been killed or grievously injured in this apartment. Police then obtained a warrant for Jorgensen's Facebook account, which they found several awful messages from Jorgensen to Manny, and language warning here, calling her a, quote, bitch, cunt, and terrible fucking mother, unquote. In one message, he threatened to kill her, stating, and I'm, I'm going to read this the way it is intended to sound, not how it is actually written. There's a lot of single letters and numbers so I'm going to read it as I think he meant it to sound uh, phonetically. So in one message, the one where he's threatening to kill her, he says, quote, and you owe me two because you called the cops on me two times. Very clear. I was of that being punishable by hanging. I'm going to give you this plea bargain opportunity. So you're welcome, unquote. Another message he sent stated that he hoped she'd quote, died of a kidney infection, unquote. Police also found that Manny's EBT card was used by Jorgensen four times after her death, one occasion on May 9th in which he bought a cleaning bucket, two boxes of saran wrap, paper towels, garbage bags, liquid cleaner, latex gloves, and disinfectant wipes from a Dollar Tree. We've all seen this before. I think we all know what's going on here. Two days later, on May 11th, Jorgensen used her EBT card to buy more paper towels, four boxes of saran wrap, more cleaning products, and more disinfectant wipes. And remember, Jorgensen said that Manny left to go to the store and she just never returned. And you would think that if somebody is going to the store and they don't have a ton of money, they're probably going to bring their EBT card with them because that's how they're buying food and groceries and really important things to live. So you would think that if Manny, you know, was going to the store, which we know she was not, but according to Jorgensen, that was his story, that she would have taken her EBT card with her. And the police agree. They're like, okay, like this is a weird thing to leave behind if you're going to the store. And also... Why are you buying so much bleach and saran wrap and paper towels and garbage bags and gloves more than once? So police then moved to Jorgensen's Google searches, which I still can't believe people fucking Google how-tos for alleged murder or disposal of bodies. On April 21st, the last day Manny spoke to someone and the last time she was seen on the security camera, Jorgensen googled, quote, jugular, unquote. On May 1st, 2023, Jorgensen googled, quote, what do police do with a missing persons report, unquote. On May 3rd, he googled, quote, how to clear cookies from an Android phone, unquote. And if you are unfamiliar with cookies, my knowledge of them is that they are basically the things that kind of track how you interact with websites across the internet. On May 27th, 2023, Jorgensen then Googled, quote, how to remove GPS Lime scooter, which are those electronic scooters that a lot of cities have um, that you can use like through an app and you can rent them and then use them around the city. And on June 4th, 2023, Jorgensen Googled, quote, Lime for soil, unquote. 
Now, if you're someone who listens to a lot of true crime or has any background knowledge in this area, you know that lime or calcium oxide can impact the degradation of remains if it is poured onto a body, with the common assumption being that it speeds up the decomposition of the body. However, there are many studies that show lime actually does not accelerate decomposition. Instead, when dry lime comes in contact with water produced by decaying flesh, the lime actually acts as a preserving agent. While it will reduce the smell of the smell of decomp, it doesn't necessarily speed it up. So the police at this point are like, all right, we're gonna search his apartment because we have enough evidence for that. And so they do, they carry out a search warrant at his apartment at 89 Century Ave North, Maplewood, Minnesota. When police arrived at the apartment, Jorgensen, his roommate, and an unnamed woman were inside. As police arrived, they noticed Jorgensen attempting to escape from a back window. Cornered, he went back into the apartment and barricaded himself in his room and started a fire in his closet. He refused to come out and set off fireworks that created a black smoke in the apartment, probably helping to obscure the police's vision or create chaos. The two other people in the apartment were evacuated and the police sprayed a chemical deterrent on a very large scale into his room. And finally, unable to breathe, Jorgensen charged out saying he had a gun and he was going to kill the officers. So this guy, he's like, Corn, he's, a, he's a cornered animal. He's, he's going to take everyone with him. He then attempts to grab an officer's AR-15, but was finally detained and taken into police custody. When at the hospital, because the roommate and the unnamed woman were taken to the hospital because they were there when this guy was fucking setting off fireworks and shit inside the, inside the apartment. So when in the hospital, the woman who was in the apartment with Jorgensen and his roommate reported that Jorgensen had strangled her and threatened to kill her that day. The injuries to her neck were still new. She had scratches, bruising, and red marks. It's unclear if she was like in a relationship with Jorgensen or if they were just friendly. She didn't, she didn't say. But she did report that he had said to her, quote, the neighbors won't hear you scream, unquote. This was the same woman who only a few weeks earlier had posted a video on Jorgensen's back porch pointing to a pink blanket on a lower balcony. So she was on his porch looking down onto a different apartment's balcony. And she said in the video, quote, it smells like death over here, unquote. And she wasn't the only one who noticed the smell. Jorgensen's neighbors noticed a foul smell coming from Jorgensen's apartment around May 15th or 16th which they reported to management. The smell was apparently so bad it affected the entire building. When management tried to enter Jorgensen's room, which is where the smell was the worst, he became hostile with them. Not wanting to get hurt or cause a bigger scene, the manager told him he had one week to clean it up. Later that week, the apartment employees saw Jorgensen dragging large black duffel bags out of the apartment, and they made a joke to each other that it, quote, looked like he was carrying a dead body, unquote. When police asked the roommate why he didn't report the smell, the smell that was so bad, the entire building complained about it, he stated that he suffered a TBI that took away his sense of smell. And I do want to point out here that there's no information or indication that the police are looking at the roommate as an accomplice to all this. 
So I'm not going to speculate whether he is or isn't involved. I don't think it's worthwhile for you, the listener, to do that either. We have no idea. Um, I am recording this November 1st, 2023. So it might come out that the roommate was involved. It might come out that he wasn't. Um, But at the time of this recording, we just don't know. When police processed Jorgensen's apartment, large amounts of blood were found in two closets as well as two padlock keys. Police, using data from Jorgensen's phone, located a storage unit that his phone pinged off of about a four-minute drive from Jorgensen's apartment. With this location and with the padlock keys, police had a sneaking suspicion that they would find some important evidence inside that unit. The unit had also recently been rented to someone with the same name as Jorgensen's roommate on May 5th, 2023. Okay, graphic warning for this next part. So skip ahead if you don't want to hear this. When police arrived at the unit, they were met with the smell of death and decomposition. The padlocks keeping the unit secure were cut and inside was a large cooler wrapped in plastic, a green tote, a blue duffel bag, and a small carry-on size suitcase, as well as a smaller cooler in the back. The bags and cooler were taken to the medical examiner's office where they were first x-rayed. They contained what the investigators suspected, human remains. The cooler contained a torso and the large duffel contained two arms and two legs and a human head was found in the smaller cooler further within the unit. Each body part was wrapped meticulously in plastic and saran wrap, so much so that it took the medical examiner a significant amount of time to unwrap each piece. Dental records, as well as tattoo records, were able to identify the remains of Manny Starin. As shared earlier in this episode, if Jorgensen is responsible for Fanta's death, the timeline would be something like this, and this is all alleged. Jorgensen and Fanta start dating somewhere 2020-ish. Fanta loses contact with family in July of 2021. Manny loses contact with her family on April 21st, 2023. Manny is reported missing on May 1st, 2023, and Fanta is reported missing on May 25th, 2023. On June 28th, 2023, Manny's remains were found in a storage unit in Woodbury, Minnesota, and on July 6th, 2023, Fanta's remains were found in a storage unit in Coons Rapids, again about 40 miles north of where she last lived. Joseph Jorgensen is currently charged with one count of second-degree murder for the killing of Manny. He is also charged with two felony counts, including arson and trying to disarm a police officer due to the fight at his apartment between himself and police on June 26th. As of this recording, there is no information on when he is set to go to trial. Manny and Fanta's families will forever be connected through the brutal and heartbreaking tragedy of losing a daughter, sister, friend, and mother. Five children will now have to grow up with mothers who, despite life's struggles, loved them so much. I hope that Jorgensen is held fully accountable for his crimes against Manny, and if he is responsible for Fanta's death, I hope he is held fully accountable for her death as well. The families of Manny and Fanta both have GoFundMe pages up to help offset burial and cremation costs. 
If you'd like to donate in lieu of flowers alongside crossing tape, the links are available in the show notes as well as in our Instagram bio. If you or someone you know is impacted by intimate partner violence, know that help is available through the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 800-799-7233. You can access more specific resources through http://ncadv.org resources. And this is linked in our show notes as well. According to the Center of Disease Control, one in three women and one in four men report experiencing severe physical violence from an intimate partner in their lifetime. About one in five women and one in 13 men report sexual violence in intimate relationships. And about 14% of women and about 5% of men report stalking from an intimate partner. Please, if you are experiencing IPV, know that you are not alone there is hope, you can get out, and you can heal. Thank you for listening to Crossing Tape, where I work to elevate the stories and lives of the victims and de-center the perpetrators as much as possible. If you'd like to show your support for the show, please consider giving us a rating or review on your preferred listening platform. It really helps the algorithm push the podcast to others who might enjoy it. As always, if you'd like to contact me, you can do so through the email linked in the show notes. My website, www.crossingtapepodcast.com, or through my Instagram page at, at crossingtapepod. Until our next episode, please stay safe out there. Mm-hmm.